22. And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, by parables and said, Spurgeon said concerning parables, he said, how condescending our God he said, so, so simple, so sim- these parables are so simple that children, when they know the meaning, can understand it, can't they? He just takes things that the people saw day in and day out and formed a story concerning the scriptural truth from it, the kingdom mysteries. You know, I've watched, I've watched great men, great men, uh, stoop to the common level. I, I was telling Kim, I was watching how Gary, Gary, you can get these, you, Gary, you can get these little old kids just, uh, just, they do whatever he wants them to do. I mean, they just drawn to him, aren't they? Just, you got that big old, big old fella, but kids love him, you know? And I've seen other men do that, that just sort of, you know, get on the level with whoever they're with. And, but God, but God doing that for us by way of parable, herein is love. That's what the scripture says. Herein is love. You know, I, I often wish, I wish the world didn't distract and interfere so often uh, with, you know, those, these things that the world interferes with. You don't, you think cause you retire, you don't, but still things get all in the way. I, I went at uh, five degrees that the Lord sent. Busted every pipe down there at that cabin. That's what Jacks calls it, a cabin. Down there at the cabin. And uh, that's where I've been all week, fixing pipes, tracing leaks. Sam helped me yesterday put some siding back. I had to tear a wall out, try to get to it. And uh, distracted, interferes. It'd be nice if you could sit at, at Mary's feet, or like Mary did, at the Lord's feet, and just learn. But you got to be a Martha, too, don't you? got to get out there and go to work. But uh, that's just the way, way it is. A teachable spirit, though, somebody that wants to learn. You may not be able to learn as often as you want to and as much as you want to, but somebody who's willing to learn. A teachable st- spirit, st- spiritually, is the first step in understanding the mind of God. It is. The person willing, th- this is another fact. And, it, you know, folks would, I don't think people would especially preachers sometimes and uh, well anybody that, that young fellow I talked to I was telling you about a couple of times last week this, well, this was his problem that's what I told him this is your problem person willing to dwell on the simple things and the simple truths of Christ a lot of folks just think that's just they you know they try to dive into the mysteries in the scriptures that they're never going to find the Lord's told us you're not going to find all these things out but they want to do it. And I've seen preachers go from pretty good grace men to getting into politics and reform things and law things. And before you know it, you come, they'll, they'll preach for an hour and 10 minutes and they'll put the people to sleep because, and they think they're waxing smart, but it's boring the folks today. They ain't getting a bit of Christ out of it. I don't know if they'll ever learn to stick to those simple things of Christ. If you do, 
True learning of truth is measured if you stick to the simple things and you learn those things. Well, the true gauge of what you've learned of the truth is measured by the results it has in our lives. See what I'm saying? It just keep it simple and your life will show it. It'll, this scripture, this this scripture, and if, you, if I go through, however long I go through, book by book, it'll teach us everything we need to know about everything in life. How you should work, how you should live, who you should, how you should marry, how you should run your marriage, how you should run your house, your morals, your spiritual, it'll teach you everything you need to know. So that's, that's that on the parables. Let's look at these first few verses of this wedding parable. Then, and Jesus answered, spake unto them again by parable, and said, The kingdom of heaven is likened to a certain king which made a marriage for his son, and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. And again, he sent forth. Now, let me tell you this. This was not a, the, the way it was done back then is, uh, you know, that king may have got word out in January that my son is going to get married in June. So the general news of this went out. So people knew, who, you know, that they were going to be going to a wedding. In other words, he'd say, we'll get with you. It's, it, like we do. We'll get with you as, as it gets closer. But they didn't have you know, uh, computers and emails and text back then. So so he sent these servants again in plenty of time to remind them, hey, marriage feast is next month, so y'all, you got your invitation, right? You got your invitation, right? That's what the, I just have me, they, that's what they were doing. So that's what he sent forth his servants doing this and to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. And again, he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. But they, they made light of it and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. The rest of them did. But when the king heard thereof, well, let's just stop at verse 6. There, we'll look at these first four or five verses. The big thing in this parable is is uh, that second verse. The kingdom of heaven is likened to a certain king which made a marriage for his son. The desire of this father was to honor his son. Jonathan Edwards, in his uh, History of Redemption, uh, the last chapter, said the grand design of God, the father, is to glorify his son in redemption. The grand design of God the Father is to glorify His Son. John five, John five twenty six. Turn there with me. For as the Father hath life in Himself, so hath He given to the Son to have life in Himself. First John two twenty three. Here's another one. They're all through the scripture, but look at a couple of these. First John two twenty three. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he hath acknowledged the Son. Hath he that hath acknowledged the Son hath the Father also. It's always the Father's. That's what he told those disciples. This is 
That's what he told them at the baptism. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Told the disciples at that transfiguration, this is my son, hear him. Honor him. I honor him, you honor him. It's the father's grand design. Why did the son, why does the son, why did this son, why does the, the son this picture, why does he deserve the honor? Why, why is that? Well, he's glorious. Our Christ is glorious in his person. Angels worship him, don't they? Hmm? Angels worship, and they've done it from all eternity. There was never a time that Christ lacked honor. Angels have always worshipped. Never a time that he didn't lack adoration. As creator, as creator, he deserves adoration, honor. All things were made by him. The scriptures, Colossians says, and without him was nothing made. No, absolutely nothing was made. Scripture says this in John 1, 2, he was in the beginning with God. Our Lord spoke and it was done. Christ spoke and it was just like that. Commanded and it stood forth. That's what the scriptures said. Command. There's a word for that. Factum dictum. Speak and done. Speak and done. And that's how our Lord does. Speak and it's done. There's no waiting with him. But that deserves honor, don't it? He's glorious as a preserver. He is before all things, the scripture says, and in all things are held together by him. Him, not some... He's the mysterious force out here that holds it all together. That's what Colossians 1 said. The next verse in Colossians 1 says there, verse 17. Everything, Isaiah said, Isaiah wrote concerning our Lord, he said, everything hangs on him. In other words, he, what Isaiah's talking about, if you read it there, he's talking about his shoulders. You remember the most old comic books when you were kids? You had, you know, get you a comic book or an old Hardy Boys book or something, and there'd be, a, there'd be an advertisement, a thing in there to send for Charles Atlas Strongman course. You remember those? You remember he had that weight, the world was resting on him like that, and he was carrying the world? Well, that's what Isaiah's pictures here of our Lord. That he carries the weight of the world on him. What he says there in Isaiah 22, 22. Scripture said he is God over all, blessed forever. God over all, blessed forever. He preserves all things. He's over all things. And then greatest of all, he's glorious as a Savior. And he's, that's the bridegroom part of this parable here. He's glorious as a Savior. He's forever glorious. This is in the, it, it, His compassion is seen above his power. You, we will forever see his compassion. We'll see his compassion through all eternity. But to take on flesh... In the nature of man, redeem his choicest objects, his choicest objects. Not all. Not all had an invitation here, did they? He redeemed his choice objects from their sin, and, and then he unions them with himself. We become one with Christ. He's their redeemer, their savior, their brother, and their friend. So if the son, if this son and our greater son, capital S-O-N, if the son is the object of the feast, what do you think the food at the feast is? The gospel, isn't it? It's the gospel. We feed on Christ through this gospel, through this word. Everything he did 
Every, think about this. Everything he did, everything he does, everything that happens out here in your life, in your walk every day, not a single step, not a single thing you see that affects you, did he not plan? Everything about that. That should alleviate a whole lot of fear, shouldn't it? Everything he does is with us in mind. Whatever he moves out here, Kim had her had her pocketbook stolen last week and lost everything, lost everything. Guy bumped her and took off with it, and that was, we've spent, a, th- th- when I wasn't plumbing this week, I was helping her with redoing information, changing information. God, he sent that. He sent that. Somehow for our good down the road. But he sent it. It could have been worse. We talked about that. He, 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 could have been, he could have stabbed her when he went by and just let her die there and grab the purse. See? Everything. And it's not with... He didn't do any of this with angels, did he? Everything he's done, he's done with us, with men. Common men. Not the greatest of men, just common men. Folks like they're in this room, just common folks. That's what the Scripture says. He chose to unite... It's his highest joy. It's just not something he had to do. It's his highest joy. He said he thought it not robbery at one time. He didn't think it was any downgrade. He thought it not robbery to be equal to God. He was fine there. He was comfortable there. But he didn't think it was robbery either to come down here with us. He made himself of no reputation, and here he comes with us. Dwelt with sinful men, common man. And, and you read the Proverbs, once again, it says it was his delight. His delight, his glory was with the sons of men. He enjoyed it. Still enjoys it. So with this in mind, this is why Yesh should come to the festival in it, to the dinner. This is why they ought to come. And they ought to count themselves blessed to be invited. Because like I said, not everybody out there was invited. But they should have counted themselves blessed to be invited to such a celebration, to honor this son. And this is why men should avail themselves to the gospel. We proclaim it. It's, it's preached, you know, every Sunday. Men ought to men ought to avail them and be here, hear the gospel. Not it's not you know it might make a dime worth of worth of merit for you next week for you coming here today, but it sure gives you an opportunity to learn how how to better honor him that's that so loved you, and so it does everything he does for your good. But the gospel's here. The gospel we proclaim. In this gospel, we learn. This is how we learn these things that I've just talked about. We learn how Christ our Lord is the Creator, how He's our Preserver, how He's our Savior. We learn of His descent. We learn of His person, Emmanuel, God with us, the Second Adam, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. His His character, His achievements, and we learn that our sins were laid on Him and. He carried them away forever. Our greatest enemies, he defeated. Satan, sin, death, and hell. He's that hero who entered those gates we've talked about in Psalm 118 and 24. Lift up, you gates. Be you lifted up, you gates. The king's coming in. Hosanna. 
It's for us that this hero's coming through those gates because it's for us he fought and conquered. So the biography of this son that we're talking about is right here. From, from page one to however many pages your Bible has. It's a biography of him. It's all about him. And in, in, and in reading that, his, his integrity, his honor, his love, his faithfulness to us should never be questioned. All right, here's the second point. The method of this, what, the design. What was the father, going? how was he going to, to honor this son? Well, a banquet. He was going to have a, a big banquet. And, and so everybody was going to come. They were going to honor this, this son and, and cheer him. And Matthew Henry said a feast, that's how that's, this, this banquet was going to have food involved. It's going to be a huge, long, probably a week, a week worth of feasting. And Matthew Henry said a feast is for love and laughter, for fullness and fellowship. Well, I thought, well, so is the gospel, isn't it? So is the gospel. The gospel, number one, is for love. Because in it is the invitation. It's the invitation to be... The Scripture invites men like you and I to be reconciled to a God we've angered. That's love, isn't it? We learn how that can work through this Scripture, through this gospel. How I can be reconciled to a God who, that I've killed his son. How can I make that right? And you're promised. You're promised that God forgives your sins. Isn't that, a, isn't that love? After all you've done, God forgives those sins? That he's no longer angry with you? And in, the, in this reconciliation by the Son, love is established between your soul, not just you, your soul. Your soul is what's everlasting. Love is reestablished between your soul and God. And that carries you into eternity. And then the feast is for laughter. The gospel's for laughter, for happiness and joy. Those who through Christ come to God in faith have their hearts filled with happiness. It's a happy day from then on. They're sure bad things are going to come. But like I said, well, go. Who, who affected those things? Our Lord. So overall, your life's happy. You know this life's not going to last forever. So there's happiness there. You know the... You've got, to, you've got to, in spite of everything that goes on around you, as bad as it gets, the, it doesn't matter the bad news. There's, there's, it hurts, don't it? That bad news hurts. And those sad times hurt, don't they? But, but then there's something in there that's got, there's peace too in there. In there? Have you ever noticed that? In, 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 you get that bad news, but then there's a, whew, there's a peace, there's a comfort there. But that's Christ in you. Shouldn't you love him? Huh? Then a gospel feast is for fullness. The hungry, the empty soul is satisfied with this gospel, with the blessings of grace. Every need, every need of the soul is supplied when we come to Christ for mercy. Every need, every need. Your, your, your physical needs may not be. They may not be. I mean, you, you know, we, we still got to, you know, we got to get up and go to work. We got to provide for ourselves. Got to get up and get about it. But every spiritual need is provided. Every one of them. 
That's what the scripture says. I have satisfied the weary soul and have replenished every sorrowful soul. Then fourthly, the gospel, the gospel feast brings us into fellowship with the Son and Father. In Christ's communion, in Christ, only in Christ is communion established with the three deities. God becomes a father with a father's heart. With a father's heart. A father's heart means love, protection, care. Christ manifests himself, that, that part of the deity, that part of the Godhead, Christ manifests himself in a way unknown to the world, doesn't he? John, John 17, the whole chapter, but just let me read you a couple of verses, but the whole chapter is about him praying for certain ones. Verse 6, here's how he manifest. He said, I have manifested thy name unto the men over all the world. No, unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. The, the, the majority of the world don't understand how our relationship with Christ, because they don't have it. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they, and they have kept thy word. Verse 9, I pray for them. I pray not for the world. I pray for those that I've had this special manifestation to. I don't pray for all of everybody else. I'm merciful. I'm merciful to the world, but I don't pray for them. But for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And then the Holy Spirit, this third person of the deity, the Holy Spirit abides in us. He teaches and he reveals and he confirms what we've heard. We, you hear something today, you go home tomorrow or this afternoon, you read it and you say, you know what? I thought it's two or three other things. And it confirms. That's the Spirit doing that. Confirms the truth in your heart that you're not wasting your time when you come and sit under the gospel. You're wasting your time everywhere else, but not when you sit under the gospel. So we feast, we feast in his, the three, we feast in his house, the three in one, and his, we sing that song, don't we, his banqueting table. His banner over us is what? Love. Love. It's his house, it's his house. His house and it's his table. What does that mean? Well, the feast costs the guests nothing. Not a, not a dime. I read, a, I saw a sign and I know they meant well. It's still sort of stung. It's because you wonder what they do know. You know, they know that, but do they really think about it? I wouldn't have put it on a sign. But anyway, the sign said on church there, coming between Bowden and Alabama, said, uh, well, you see, uh, inflation is up, but salvation is free. And I thought, no, it ain't. It, it, that's the most expensive thing in the world. It cost the heart blood of God's dear son. It wasn't free to us. But it's very expensive to God. Us, the feast cost us nothing. The gospel salvation, the elect, the guest, the elect, the invited, the, the sinner. We bring no money. We bring no merit. No, no preparation. We don't. We don't have to spend six months in our world mind of our world of our mind saying ah you know i need to i need to i need to get in church i need to get in church but i need to get better 
because everybody down there is going to know who I am. So I need, to, I need to spend six months getting a little better. No preparation. Just come as you are. What's the song say? Just as I am. Come as you are. In this feast, we'll get on into it later, but you ain't have to bring your clothes, your own clothes. You get Your robe was provided for you. His righteousness is, we don't bring anything into this thing of salvation. It's all him. That's what the serv- that's what these, these servants you can picture as pre that's what they were telling them. Come on, come on, come on. The meat's done, the chairs are said, the robes are pressed, come on. And that's what preachers do. Come to Christ. If they're preachers worth a flip, they say, Come to Christ, come to Christ, come to Christ. But there was thirdly, there was a hindrance to all this. A hindrance at the feast. You know, it was an honor to be asked to this thing, to, to, to such a noble event. Not everyone got invited. And when the king, when he spares no expense and is free to all guests, why would anybody refuse it? Well, why do they refuse the gospel? Indifference. You read this in this parable. Indifference, disloyal, contempt, anger. Same reasons, like I say, same reasons men refuse the gospel, refuse Christ. Many feel they don't really need Christ. They do. I, I, we see these folks a half a dozen or more a week of that. I really don't. I'm pretty decent. I'm pretty decent. I'm doing a lot of good things for a lot for people. You know, I'm spending my life doing doing just as a servant. I don't know that I, I'm, I'm all right. All in all, I'm a pretty good person. I'm all right. No realization of sin. No, no realization of your real inability to come to God. They don't hear it anywhere. They just get patted on their backs. Especially if you're a good Methodist. That's, they, they, they love that. More you do, you know, more you come to church talking about on Sunday that you have done all week. Patted more. So they don't know. People don't know, do they? they don't know. That doesn't mean a thing in the world to, to God. God gave you his son. He killed his son. Do you think, you know, wiping some old fella's fanny's going to matter? Not a bit. Not a bit. Here's another thing. Fear of, that's what, the, the invitation, that, go back to this invitation. That invitation that you see over and over in this parable to God is only in Christ. It's only in Christ. You, you can't print your own invitation and come to God. Look at John chapter four, 14, 6. I, this, is, this is where so many. They say they believe this, Gary. They say they do, but they don't, they don't read it and really believe it. Because they, they throw up everything in the world of theirs to get to God. Jesus said unto him, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now, folks out here in these churches, they'll say, that's why the, the, the Muhammad folks ain't going to heaven. Well, you're not either. You're not either because you're throwing your own things up along with Christ to get to heaven. So you're going to be in hell with the rest of the Mahatans, or whatever you call them. And then uh, here's the second thing, fear of men. Fear of what folks are going to say. That's, 
that's a rejection or persecution or I'm not going to be, you know, the life of the group anymore. Now, I don't want them knowing I'm going to church, much less I'm a believer now. These things, they'll that, find that, that deters them from this gospel feast. John, John 12, John 12, he's got a picture of this. This is a sad case right here. And we, we know we know a lot of them like it. John twelve forty two. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers, also many of those believed. Many of those those in religion of that day, they believed on him. But there's always that but. It can buts are usually either they're good or they're bad, but something else is following in it. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. They just weren't gonna be popular anymore. For they love the praise of men, the pats on the back, more than the praise of God. Or here's another one. Here's the third thing. Hindrances to this feast. Indifference. Verse 5 of our text. But they made light of it and went their ways. One to his father. I got, I got, a, I got crops to plant. I got cows to feed. I don't have time to, time to go to church. Church not for me. Or I got business to run. Hey, I just don't have time for that. That's, that's what they were saying. Indifference, the needs, the desires, uh, the lust of the present world, the offers, the, the all of that stuff. Whatever, whatever it is out here, is more appealing than whatever's out there eternally. They live for the moment, and they're blinded to it. They don't know that uh, Matthew. That's what happened with that rich long, young ruler. You know, he said, "Sell all and walk with me. Be my disciple." And he, he implied that life's not long. Just walk with me rest of your life. It'll be that long. And then you have eternity. You got your reward in heaven. Couldn't do it. Wouldn't do it. Traded, traded. If that fella is, as they say, about 20 at the time and, and average lifespan in that time, 50 years old. He lived another 30 years. He made his deal with the devil. He made 30 years for all of eternity. But that's how folks do. Indifference. Not willing to lose possessions for fellowship with God and the Son. And then there's anger and malice. And a lot of folks that we know like that, just they hate, they hate the gospel, they hate God, they hate Christ, they hate anything to do with it. Hate his people. That's the world we're living in today. It's getting where they're hating, they're coming out of odd directions, but they're getting to God. They're trying to get to God. They hate God. And they hate anybody that stands for God. Stephen dealt with this over in Acts 7. Stephen and Paul, I'll read you both of them. Acts seven fifty one. Stephen told you just before they started throwing rocks and stoning him. He said, "You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did. So do you. You hate God. You just hate God." And that made them even madder because these were religious folks he was talking to. Paul did the same thing over. In, 28, another group of religious folks. That's who you have the most trouble with in life. If you stand for anything, he's a a sorry religious hypocrite. Acts 28, 23. When they had appointed him a day, there came many to him and to his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both of the law of Moses and out of the prophets, from morning till evening. And some believed the things were spoken, and some believed not. 
And when they agreed not to among themselves, believe they departed after that. Paul had spoken one word. He said this, Well spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah the prophet unto our fathers, saying, Going to his people and hearing. You remember that. I used that last week. Hearing you shall hear and shall not understand, and seeing you shall see but not really perceive. For the heart of this people is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and should be converted, and I should heal them. Hate God. Hate God. Malice in the heart. Well, what was the... Finally, what was the king's reply to all this? Well, there was no immediate anger, was there? Not immediately. He asked, invited. They had excuses. What did he do? Well, he, he, he slowed to anger. He invited them again. See how long his mercy endures? He invited them again. And folks may have heard the gospel Years, but he keeps inviting again, inviting again, inviting again. And then he sent others. He said, he, after he asked them the second time, and then verse 4, he said, he, again, he sent forth other servants. That's other preachers. I mean, th- these grace men may be different. They may look different. Their personalities may be different. Their their places may be different all over the this. United States and world here, they come in. Uh, but the grace, the grace message is the same. It's always the same. And what is that message? Come to Christ. Trust Christ. Trust Christ's blood. Trust Christ's atonement. Trust Christ's merits. Believe Christ. Look to Christ and live. It's always the same message in it. Other servants, other preachers, but he's merciful. And it's, he don't confuse those he invites with a different message. There it is again. If Just stick to the simple message of Christ. And then this last, he's sovereign. Our, our God, this, our God, this man was a king. That picture's God. God's sovereign, just, and holy. But it almost appears... That he, he wants he condescends. God does. And it appears that he almost begs these people to come. He says, Tell them, tell them again, tell those folks, these other, he tell them that I've asked, that I've bidden. That's desperation, that I've bidden. Behold, look, I, my, the meat's ready, I've prepared the table set, the chairs are out, every, everything's ready. Everything's killed and cooked. Come into the marriage. Almost begs, as, as the scripture says. Oh, everyone that thirsts. Like, read that. It's almost like he's begging. Come, come drink. Come on, the water's here. However, oh, if you're thirsty, come here and drink. He says in another place, buy milk, buy food, or, or buy wine. What's it going to cost? Nothing. I'm giving it away. I'm just begging you to come take it. And then in Matthew 23, 37, our Lord he looks at, looks at those. He says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets, like we're reading about here, and stones them which are sent unto you. How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings, and you wouldn't do it. I begged you. 
I begged you. So that's, that's his reply. That's the king's reply. But there's a but in it here. Whatever the reasons you have for refusing, whatever the reasons are, whether it's, whether it's indifference, disloyal, or contempt or anger, whatever those reasons are, and however long he's patient and long-suffering, it won't always last. It won't last forever. Verse 7, he finally has enough of it. He says, but when the king heard that final time, his final invitation, when he heard thereof, he was mad. He was angry. And he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their cities. Don't wait too long. Don't wait too long. All right.